Welcome to the second episode of Eye to Eye, a new podcast brought to you by the people behind Inconst, Malmo's premier multi-arts venue and intonal festival, the annual event for adventurous minds produced by Inconst. In each episode, we bring you conversations with some of the artists we present, offering insight into creative practice and the international community of people who love music. I'm your host, Lisa Blanning. Today, we're speaking with Bendik Giska. Bendik is a Norwegian artist and saxophonist using physicality, vulnerability, and endurance as his tools of expression. He seamlessly fuses freeform jazz and club music and is as versatile as he is spellbinding. So we're here today with Bendik Giska, who is someone I always enjoy speaking to. Bendik, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Lisa. I'm excited about this. Good. I mean, the first thing I wanted to ask you about is the most recent project that you have that's just come out or is in the process of being released. You're actually doing a new collaboration with Pavel Milyakov. Um, yeah, that's right. Maybe uh, you could speak a little bit about that for the listeners. Yeah, so uh, it's an album. It's coming out on uh, Le Jazz Non, kind of the sub-label of Small Town Supersound, which I release with uh, on the 26th of March. So that's uh, two weeks away from, from when we're speaking right now. Um, this was initiated by, so Pavel Milyakov, um, has an alter ego called Batekno, uh, which I absolutely adore. It's something very clear cut about the things that he, uh, put out. He's extremely pro- prolific though. So s- s- since I started this di- dialogue with Pavel, he's just released tons and tons of music since then. <laughs> but that was initiated. I, I kind of liked, so what I imagined being his approach or kind of what, what came out of what he made, it was kind of, as I said, quite clear cut. So me and Small Town Supersound kind of dreamt of what it would be like to join forces with him as a side project, you know, to get mm-hmm. ideas going and, and things like that. Um, and, and so Pavel lives in, in Moscow. So this had to be sort of an email collaboration to begin with. So it started with me sending some sound files, just little bits and pieces for, for him to work with. And back just came this tidal wave of ideas and, you know, all these bits and pieces just put put into a larger context, uh, which is absolutely fantastic. So it turned into a, a short album. Um, first single is released and, yeah, as I said, the album is coming in two weeks. Yeah. Was this your first collaboration, quote unquote, since playing in more straightforward jazz ensembles? I guess you'd say so, yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting because, as you say, he's uh, better known as Butt Techno, who is, um, a, well, he's an electronic artist who works largely in techno. Uh, but he's releasing this under his own name. So, and I've heard the record, it's quite different than what you would expect from But Techno per se, which is obviously why he's using his own name. Um, but it, but to me, it seemed like a, an interesting pair up. Um, and it must have been a, a very different experience, especially because you were doing it remotely. 
Oh, very different in so many ways. I think just uh, just working with Pavel would have been different, uh, no matter how we how we would have gone about <laughs> it. Um, but I mean, I think he's an extremely interesting um, artist. He was he was releasing under his own name as well as under the the Bach Techno moniker um, when we initiated this project as well. So kind of nothing new there. I think this this is very much in line with with his project that he would release under his own name. Um, but yeah, different. I mean, different in so many ways, but also not uh, this idea of putting out some sort of statement in the form of sound and then having that statement sort of improvised on and come back in a completely different form is in many ways something that I know from improvising with a jazz ensemble or improvising with other instrumentalists. So it wasn't it wasn't altogether that different. It was just really really refreshing, I think, to to have it come come back in the way that it did because it's it is very um, heavy manipulated from from the initial sounds. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it, it's clear to me anyway. Sort of, it's quite clear what's going on there. Uh, it's quite clear that it kind of all stems from the from the sounds of the saxophone. There's very little added to, to my knowledge anyway. Do you think that that's the kind of thing that could be done live, this collaboration? No, no, I don't think so for, for technical reasons. I think what he has done is to you know, take samples from me and put it into a, a system that he has programmed mm-hmm. that I think doing that live doesn't... I, I mean, I haven't really asked, but we never it intended would re- it would to, require to a lot of prep, I suppose. <laughs> I think so. I think so. Yeah, and a, and and a lot of processing power on the machines. I think. <laughs> I think this record is really good. I think it's very interesting. Um, one one thing I I really like about it is, I think that you have a sound as a as a player as a saxophonist that's quite distinct. And maybe it's partly because of the context in which um, one is more likely to encounter your work these days. Um, I don't think there's so many saxophonists even. There, you know, we can name them on one hand who sort of work in this underground uh, uh, related to electronic music, avant-garde, international avant-garde. Um, this is also down to the fact that you've uh, worked long and hard at this. And you've mentioned to me about the importance of craft. Could you expand on that a bit? Uh, on the importance of craft, you mean? Yeah, because <laughs> you you literally said that um, you think that your repertoire largely stems from the exploration of your craft. Yeah, that's true. I did say that. I, I still mean that. Uh, luckily, I mean <laughs> that's rare that I'm confronted with something I said and I still mean it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, what I was referring to uh, at that time was my, my background is I come from a musical conservatory background. So what that means is spend large parts of the day just practicing the instrument and uh, in studying jazz, what that meant for me was I would kind of dissect the different ways of, uh, you know, the, the, the decades go through the decades of jazz because jazz is this in, incredible development and it's so much about commenting, commenting on on current times, uh, also social commentary. So, so sound uh, jazz styles just sound very different, and so going through that, learning how to play it, kind of embodying that sound, and, and putting it into sort of my own 
learning that craft is very much where I come from. That's, that's creating music for me. And so I think at some point I realized that there was an opportunity for me to also create repertoire that uh, sort of fits to the style that I wanted to develop somehow. Uh, that I couldn't look for external sources. I had to sort of find that from within. And so I really looked for uh, the possibilities of the instrument. So in learning an instrument, you would learn kind of what's referred to as extended techniques that kind Mm -hmm. of are outside of the realm of what's expected of an instrumentalist. So I say what's expected uh, because you know when you study to be an instrumentalist a saxophonist like I studied to, to become there's there's kind of a set of parameters that you're expected to know right you, you have range and this and that sort of style of playing and so on you're supposed to I was expected to learn how to improvise over a chord progression and, and so on a, a bunch of parameters there but then there are the extended techniques that kind of go outside of the range or outside of what's expected of of an instrumentalist which is so much used in free jazz and free improv music but i i sort of saw an opportunity to explore that within other frameworks as well mm-hmm. and so i think that's kind of where the compositional practice really came in was to was to sort of see if, uh, i did a, a, a bunch of adaptations where i would take synthesizer lines just impossible synthesizer lines and try to actually play them on on saxophone um which is just a fun challenge you know something to something to sweat over you know to get the 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 body going um but then i realized you know there are so many limitations to the saxophone um especially when you compare it to a synthesizer um but I think in those limitations is also the strength. And the saxophone is quite a young instrument, right? So there is still uncharted territory. At least I, I believe that there is still sounds and, and repertoire that hasn't really been explored. And so I, I just saw an opportunity there to see what's possible on the instrument. What does my body kind of end up doing? Or, you know, my body, meaning my fingers, my breath, and my, my mouth, um, mm-hmm. sort of musculature. What does it end up doing? What sort of emotions come out of this? And in and also, I you know, I love dancing. I love to go clubbing. All these things just kind of stem from a they're a physical practice. So I think that's that's what I was referring to when when it all it all comes from this. What does the body do? What what is the possibility of the instrument? And then uh, that's kind of just created a, a set of parameters that I could compose with, and also just a repertoire that I now have and keep developing as well. Well, it's, it's interesting because um, there's a lot there, but what one thing you said struck me quite a lot, um, You that this sort of working on, on your craft um, and the possibilities within that uh, brought you closer to performing and creating from the self. And, and I thought about that and I realized that it, when you practice your craft so much, you narrow in on both what you are good at within that and what interests you about it as a player. Yeah, that's true. And, and that these are basically what leads you to a musical identity. Yeah, I, didn't, I didn't really think about it that way, but yeah. 
I, I thought that's what I thought you meant actually about yeah, uh, well, equating I, that I guess, to self. Yeah, I guess I didn't think about it in, in those words exactly. It's just nice to hear you uh, say it. But yeah, sure, absolutely. I, I, you know, I take great pleasure in just having a daily practice. I, I play my saxophone almost every day, even when I don't have any shows. Um, I, I play right. every day. And I, do, I wondered, I wondered about how um, forming this strong musical identity would affect other senses of identity that you have. Well, that's a big question. Um, maybe, it, maybe it would help if I, if I, I already have a sense of perhaps how that might have worked. So yeah. maybe I'll just point you down that 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 way. <laughs> yeah. You would just just because um, I've mentioned this to you in the past, but I'll say this for everybody listening is that I think that your, um, your music, your compositions have, they, they deal with time a lot and, and a lot, and a lot of this comes from the fact that you're working with these extended techniques like circular breathing, Yeah, absolutely. which is, which this is a durational exercise. And so, so you're, you're, and, and there's so much, there's your, your work is very rhythmic as well. It's, I'd say that um, it's that rhythm and time are, are really important aspects of your music. And what that creates for the listener is it can actually alter one's sense of time when you're listening to it. And maybe that affects you. Obviously, that affects you as a player, as someone who makes music, but also that affects you perhaps as a person. And the way that we encounter time or the way that we think about time, there's lots of different things that can affect the way we perceive anything but um time has been such an important aspect of the pandemic for me anyway like i experienced time Absolutely. differently you know yeah, in pandemic too. and your music helps me to experience time differently in the same way that um i think that that your music is similar to the way that um, the you know the famous American minimalists uh, w- worked in that in that same sort of way, you know, music for eighteen musicians, for instance, is a excellent example. Yeah, yeah, because because it's uh, basically it, you, you have a piece where the players are doing quite a lot of work, but the effect is quite meditative and sort of almost like it feels like stasis of time. Yeah. Anyway, I'm thinking about how you work with time and how this actually affects your sense of identity. This is broad. This is big. <laughs> there, uh, there are so many things I want to talk about on this subject. I think w- one aspect of time that I kind of want to mention in here and put in the fold here is, is uh, the oral tradition. I think so much of, of, of jazz to me, or the, the way I understand the progression of jazz is that it is essentially an oral tradition. You you listen and you learn to play and you kind of play your version of that. And then through that process, there will necessarily be a development. And I just see so much of that same thing happening in, in Norwegian traditional music, in, in most traditional music that, you know, predates, uh, predates music recording and also was never really written down in much detail. Mm-hmm. It's so much up to the up to the performer themselves to to kind of redefine. It will constantly be in development. There is this, you know, it, there's a sense of both the present, but also kind of reliving the past in those oral traditions. I've been very inspired by these paintings of the midsummer parties that's 
that are quite traditional in in Norway. You know, as mm-hmm. we approach midsummer, the the days are just almost endless. Depends on where you are in the right. country, but you might even have yeah. midnight sun, and you would have these massive bonfires. These would be a, this would be a heathen tradition that predates the church. You know, and, and, and especially one of these motives, there's a single fiddler. There's one person kind of holding that beat, holding, playing the music that everyone just relates to somehow. Um, and I, <laughs> I identify a lot with that, with that one person. And so I think that this is, this is another question when, when, when you study jazz. So jazz is so clearly an American style, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you make, how do you take the ideas of that American style of music that has been developed by, you know, people from a very different experience than what I have? So how, how do you reclaim how, or how do I claim that? How do I make that into something that, that's meaningful to me? And I think referring to, to oral traditions or just seeing it in that, in that context makes sense to me. So there's, there's that time aspect. Um, I, I think I really started discovering this time manipulation or time warping somehow when I started to work with circular breathing. So circular breathing has always been been with me. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. I just learned it as a child. So it has made sense to adapt it to the saxophone as well. Um, and I did discover this, that there was... It just opened up such a realm of possibility when I didn't have to play the phrasing you know the phrasing that you normally have to play because you need to take a breath every now and then mm-hmm. so when i took away that i also took away kind of the the placement of the saxophone in, in the ensemble so i kind of started fucking with a hierarchy a little bit you know all of a sudden i didn't necessarily have to be the soloist because I, I i could go on for a while um and especially this this aspect of of kind of controlling breath uh, I think also just does something with our feeling of time. Um, yeah, absolutely. Because obviously breath is an important part of meditation. Yeah, it's it's an important part of just communication as well, I think. when I mean, you can feel when someone in the room is breathing shallow, you can kind of feel that stress, or at least I do. Interesting. The, the classic example is someone yawns, everyone yawns, right? Right, right. <laughs> Yeah, that's that. Um, actually, I, I love this because this sort of leads me on to this idea about how time um, might be differently perceived based on something like community as well. You raised the example of uh, the midnight sun in countries like Norway and in Scandinavia, um, and and obviously the inverse of that is the endless night, and how these would mm-hmm. definitely, definitely um, give those communities a different sense of time and the idea of um of community and i know i know that this is something that's been important to you as well uh well i think it's i think that the idea of community is important to everybody let's let's be real um yeah yeah, i I do which hope so (laughs) yeah i mean well in terms especially in terms of music it's really held up sort of as a catch-all answer for everything Hmm. I don't know how actually useful that is, but I do think that um, communities can experience things in different ways. And um, we have talked in the past about how this sense of time might actually change based on something like 
being part of the queer community. Absolutely. You know, once you start talking about time in a, in a straight versus queer community, I think the the most obvious thing to think about is this trajectory of, you know, this life trajectory that's kind of been laid out to you and that, that doesn't necessarily fit everyone, to put it that way. Um, it's not going to, you're not going to just magically manifest children. It's, uh, it's a given age or something like that. So there's, there's all this uh, to deal with. Um, I, yeah, no, that, that, that's a large subject. Uh, where to start? I, well, I mean, that's actually, that's, I, I, that's an interesting starting point right there is how, um, people who have different life expectations, who have different milestones in life would experience time differently. Like that actually makes perfect sense. <laughs> like I wanted to bring that back to this idea, um, of community, uh, in a music sense, um, a lot of what we miss in the pandemic time is events that bring music lovers together, live events, clubs, whatever, um, you know, musical events, and how this is something we could view as physical time or communal time um, versus something like internet time, exactly. which is really flattening. I mean, internet time happens simultaneously and never and all the time. And um, whenever, you know, it's it's on call and... Um, it's there whenever you want it. It's at your fingertips. Uh, but it's whereas communal time is something you actually have to be present for. Yeah, you have to you have to show up for it. You have to plan for it. You have to make space for it. Yeah, I miss it dearly, by the way. <laughs> yeah, so this idea of shared time, um, I'm guessing this is probably a factor for you. You know, my it, 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 just to bring it back to my practice uh, quickly, my practice is, is the way I see it is really about the moment that is created there. And then um, everything else that kind of comes from it, recordings or yeah, everything else kind of comes from that passion for creating the moment and the now this immediate connection uh, between space and you know audience or, or community is as we refer to it as and this taking this moment to just experience something other um, and in the moment this this is what I do this is all all the all the practicing all the, all the rehearsing all the planning that I do it's it's all to kind of lay the groundwork for this moment to occur. <laughs> to for this to allow for this moment to happen mm -hmm. um this communal time does that mean that you actually um would place different weights for yourself in terms of a record versus a performance that is certainly a possibility that opens up once you start planning a record now um the records that i've done lately I also have a record that comes out in September, which is my solo project. Uh, comes out on Small Town Super Sound, produced by Andre Bratten, which is a, um, a fantastic electronic musician. Um, so there also there there are kind of collaborative aspects to that. Um, going into it, it was very important for me that all the all the tracks, so to speak, are recorded in one in one take uh, from beginning right. to end. So. I, I, I can feel that once I'm confronted with all the possibilities of creating a record, all the possibilities that a studio provides, I still really want to create that live moment. 
I kind of hold on to that for their lives. Because I think that's, in my practice, that that's where it's at. You know, this is what I have to work with. This is what's special. It's like the fragility mm-hmm. of, of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you won't, I won't ever kind of reach some sort of idea of perfection. Perfection lies in accepting what happens, you know. And just, I can be as prepared as I, as I possibly can, but there will still be things that happen just that I cannot plan either from fatigue or from, you know, mm-hmm. elevated state of mind or, or something. So, so I really take this parameters or the, 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 the core of what is live to me. I, I really bring that into the studio when we're making records as well. I think it just, you know, brings a very different nerve to it. For, for, for my sake. Yeah. So how do you, how do, what is it like when you go back, to, when you listen back to your records? Like, do you ever listen <laughs> back to your records? Oh, to, yeah, to your, absolutely. <laughs> so, okay. So there's no, so you're fine to go back into that as opposed to just being like, okay, that's done. That's the past. Yeah. F- fine is an exaggeration. I mean, I <laughs> <laughs> hear so much, there's so much going on, right? There's, um, you know, this making a record i'm sure anyone who's ever made a record can can agree to some extent that it's kind of a, a stamp in time this is what mm-hmm. this is what happened then and then you would have done it differently i mean the the moment i wrap a recording project i think oh god i i, I would have done everything differently all right you know and and this is how it is it's such a it's such a learning experience to make a recording that's uh, listening back to it is de- is definitely an exercise in, ex- in accepting that you did it the way you did, or I did it the way I did when I did it. But yeah, I do listen back with all sorts of emotions that come. I think it's is a great occasion, isn't it, to to kind of move forward f- from that. But do you have you, have you changed your your mind about stuff in the past as well? And I don't mean in the sense of um, what I mean when I ask that question is you listen back to your record, let's say your debut album and you, and maybe six months after you first released it, you think one thing, but then maybe a year after that, you think something else. (laughs) Well, yeah, it, it absolutely feels that way when I listen to it. Um, I think though, the, the further away it gets in, in time, the, the easier it is to appreciate it as something that's as something discreet on, on its own. Mm-hmm, that it's mm-hmm. that it's not something. So when I listen to my, I think when I listen to, let's let's call it my my first solo album, which is called Surrender. When I listen back to that, that's recorded a few years ago now. Um, I hear it kind of from the outside for what it is, much more than I hear my own performance or my own struggle in it. So that right. has definitely changed. Okay. Yes. So yeah. I mean, that makes perfect sense. Obviously, like time does allow you distance. Yeah. I, I also just feel like a different person now, although I'm doing almost the same <laughs> still. <laughs> I feel like a different person engaging with the same things. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you say that, but I, I, to me, it seems as though um, you, and, and that's true, but I, I feel as though you're actually trying to, you're actively seeking new ways to engage with these things. Yeah. I, I mean, I say jokingly that I say that I do the same thing because this, I mean, um, when I was, I think I was 19 or 20 when I kind of established a warm up routine. Um, so now I'm kind of dating myself here, but uh, that is, uh, 
let's say it's a, it's two decades ago and, um, no, one decade ago. Um, and no, two, two decades, two, two decades ago. <laughs> can, we, can we edit this? <laughs> okay. Never mind. Let's move past this. Um, <laughs> Uh, I still do the same warm up routine. That was my point. Oh, I got there in the end. I okay, still do okay, the okay. same warm up routine, right? So, what I found is I, I, I somehow at some point I just kind of uh, latched onto this saxophone as an instrument. And with this at the core, I really try to explore collaborations in the visual realm and, you know, dance and theater and just explore spaces in the city. And, you know, see where I can take it um, in all sorts of ways. But at the core, you know, it's it's still me unpacking this instrument that I've had for all these decades, playing the same scales that I've played for all these decades to kind of get into it. And then there is this, um, there is, it's not stagnant, uh, but there is, I'm not sure if continuity is the word, but there is kind of this core of something just like stays the same. And development is allowed to happen from that. Yeah, I, I well, I, I mean, I, I like this. There's, well, I do think continuity is sounds like the right word, but there's also this sense of like of permanence, and um, you know, just to bring it back to time again, and uh, but also slow, deliberate, and constant change, which in a way could also describe your music. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad you put it that way. Yeah, I, I think so too there's like a, a persistence there's a I, I i try to think of it as a as a, a kind of constant pressure uh, that i can kind of keep up and then as everything develops you know as the as the world goes under and then resurfaces again hopefully um this will have changed with it this kind of steady pacing development and yeah it's it's very much how i how i like to um, stretch my uh, compositions as well it's 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 i was very inspired by this choreographer called Jefta van Dinter a uh, swedish choreographer i heard him get this question about his use of repetition he said is it well it's not really repetition for me because i i i actually do all those movements he said something to that effect you know he actually has to perform every single movement so it isn't it isn't repetition per se they're they're different every time and so mm. I think I think that that's kind of what I discovered in playing that just just for the fact that when I play sort of the same thing over and over again, you know, a pattern, I you know, there's as I mentioned before, this element of fatigue. Things change just for the reason that the the body that the body tires or you know, you, it it goes somewhere just just from that. So there is this kind of unintended development which meant that I could in performing also take a spectator perspective on it and kind of just you know the pieces that i the pieces that i make i, I just released the piece uh, a cover version of katarina barbieri's uh, fantas mm-hmm. so she's releasing a whole album with with kind of interpretations of this i'm in an interpretation of this and it's what i chose i chose a very specific part of that ostinato that kind of repeating structure that she uses and i i sang the melody line over top and I just, the amount of time that I had to spend on just getting this into the, you know, the bone marrow of my spine so that I didn't have to think about it anymore. I could just uh, perform it. 
that process um, is is that's part of my practice, right? I all, everything I do, I have wow. to practice just for many, many, many hours, and that gives me the possibility to kind of take the spectator view. Like it's like I'm I'm performing it, but I don't actually have to be in control of everything. I kind of let let things happen much more than I I am in control. I like what Brian Eno says about being a gardener. You know, mm-hmm. he's not the architect; he's a gardener. I like that. Although what you said before that made me think of um, how you, it, what it sounds is like is that you internalize it so that it can become a bit of an automatic process. And so it, in a way, it does become a part of yourself. Absolutely. I do. I To go completely off topic here, but I am curious about this and I I don't think I've asked you this um, before, but uh, just on the gossip tip, do you get much attention from the jazz world these days? (laughs) Yeah, well, I, I'm, I can't, I can't say if, uh, if, you know, this or that have heard about me or, or what I do, or if they pay attention I can speak to what sort of attention that I'm receiving. Um, I see that, you know, so the jazz, the jazz environment that I know is very oriented around festivals. Festivals obviously are having problems. I think a lot of festivals kind of, of course, stopped yeah. planning. I'm, I'm not so sure what's going on there. Um, I am sort of registering that the jazz environment that I came from are not kind of uh, actively seeking me out at the moment. That's what I wonder. You're so um, diplomatic, but that's what I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> but that's fine. I'm. I'm. Uh, I find myself in a very busy otherwise. place. So, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's all fine. Um, I don't see this as a breakup or anything. I think. I think for me there was there's so much creative power in opposition. So for I had I definitely went through a bit of a phase there where I thought that I had to kind of define myself away from jazz a little bit or just you know be in opposition to mm-hmm. it because I think that's part of the nature of jazz. You know this this has yeah. happened through I you know I referred to the decades earlier on where where this happened you had you had swing and then out of you know out of swing comes this opposition which is free jazz and then you have cool jazz and then you have bebop and all these things kind of happen in relation to one another so i think opposition is is part of the core of jazz and i definitely use opposition as as creative fuel so to speak so maybe the attention that i'm sort of not receiving is essentially because I voiced my opposition. Who knows? <laughs> I always appreciate speaking with you because I think you're really thoughtful and perceptive and that there's a, there's a lot of layers. There's always, there are, there always seems like there's a lot of layers to unpack and today's been no exception. So thank you for joining me today. I really got a lot out of that. Oh, thank you, Lisa. I mean, the feeling is mutual. It, it really gets the thoughts flowing. Uh, uh, yeah. Speaking with I, you. I feel as though there's a, a lot to unpack in what you say and also um, very, very much it's the case that a lot of that is contained within your music. And, you know, that's, that's, you don't get that with, with every artist. So it's, it's a pleasure. So thanks so much, Bendik. Thank you so much, Lisa. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's absolutely our pleasure. 
So please join us next time for the next edition of Eye to Eye.